0: welcome to The Connected Generation. My name is Nikia Anani and I'm your host. This week I'm joined by GP Turi, who is the CEO of a Japanese family-owned business. And GP is a non-family staff, so he's a non-family CEO. And he's had a very interesting journey in that the business itself has seen rapid transformation in recent times. He has worked as a business leader and academic, worked across several continents and countries and is stickler for innovation and sustainable growth. So I brought him on to learn about transformations. Firstly, the transformation within as a leader that one needs to lead a business or lead people. And then secondly, transformations that businesses can go through mergers, acquisitions, and things like international expansion and what have you. This business has operations in three continents. So I'd encourage you to tune in, soak in the wisdom, and share the love. Thank you. Hi, GP. I'm so excited to have you today on the Connected Generation. You're welcome.
1: Hi. I'm so glad that we made acquaintance and that I'm here today to talk to you to your listeners and to share my journey.
0: Yes, I'm excited to hear. So tell me more about your journey. I know today you're leading a global Japanese business. How did you get to where you are today? What was the pre journey? And was this always the plan? I'm always quite intrigued.
1: Yeah, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very good question. And of course, telling the story now, in hindsight, it's easy, and it may sound like there is a thread that I followed, but actually, there's a lot of serendipity, chance, mm. mistakes. Uh, it's really the result of so many variables I've been able to control, even if I wanted. So, mm. it all started in 2012 when I was living in the German-speaking part of Switzerland, working for a medtech a large USA global company. And I wanted to come back to the French area, so to this area where I live now, which is Lausanne in Switzerland. And I decided to apply for a job that was less technical. I used to be always in product development, technology, innovation, and so on. I wanted to get more into the business. And there was this company in Lausanne that had a a Japanese company that had the headquarter for Europe in Lausanne, and I decided to apply. It's a family owned company. And for me, at that time, with my experience, everything was new. Due to the fact that I was going to go working for a family owned company, a very traditional one, it was new to the fact that it's a Japanese company and that it's in hard materials and micro technology. So there were so many things that were new. And this is maybe one of the things that's really typical of me. I normally don't care. The more changes, the more excited I feel. Mm. I was hired, I was interviewed and hired by the son-in-law of the owner of the company. The company is completely owned by the Namiki family. And I became very strongly attached, both professionally, and I would say as, as a friendship with this person, being the son-in-law, as he used to say, not only he married the daughter, but he married the company. <laughs> so he was really, really very much into the management team and he was climbing the ladder. He is my age. And basically, I became his right hand and I was really helping him with day-to-day business, but also with a long-term vision, because it was quite clear, being the family composed of the husband, the wife, and two daughters, one of which married my my former boss, that the company was gonna be handed over to a male person, so the mm. husband of the eldest. Mm. And he was climbing this ladder, and I was climbing with him. I was considered like his best friend in the company. And we planned together the merger, which happened between 2016 and 2017, when three companies belonging to the same owner and a fourth company acquired was merged together. And at the time, there was wow. also supposed to happen The new generation, so you were supposed to become the CEO and the completely new structure with a new board and anyway, you know, what happens typically in mergers. And all of a sudden, all the plan crumbled down like a castle made of sand Mm. or like a Jenga tower when you you pull out (laughs) the wrong brick. And of course, the best friend on the right hand, I thought, okay, it's better if I print my CV, I update it and I find myself a new job. But the vision of Mr. Namiki, Shoji Namiki, was to continue the good parts of our plan. And so he called me and he said, look, it's not about what you plan. It's just something that was about a personality that went into light when we were ready to sign with my former boss. So I really want you Mm -hmm. to stay, and I want to take some of his responsibility. And that's when I became the responsible for the overall US and EU business and manufacturing. Two years passed, I got more and more into the family, into the intertwined with the, high, the most important decision-making processes. And because of age, he asked me to help him in the transition with the next generation to find a new CEO. He asked me to become temporarily, at interim, the CEO of the company. So mm-hmm. to run the company and to prepare the company for the next gen which is where we are basically right now.
0: Wow. (laughs) GP, there's so much to unpack. I have so many questions. I'm glad. You've had a lot of experience in navigating unknowns and navigating the new. How has GP, you know, looking back on diving into the family business and to leadership role that you've been in, looking back on your former self 10 years ago, what lessons would you tell a GP on how to navigate unknown?
1: Wow. That's a super good question. I really like it. Yeah. I would say now, as I said, when I started, certain things make sense and others really look like events that were uncontrolled and uncontrollable. Mm-hmm. And I've, clearly made mistakes so I wouldn't tell my former self not to make those mistakes because mm-hmm. that's when really I learned. I remember and I tell you one other thing for instance I remember the former president was called on me once because of a preparation of a very important meeting in Europe and the meeting was well prepared I really put myself into it but one thing that I forgot was the seating arrangement and the seating mm-hmm. arrangement when Japanese company visit a company abroad, like in the u s or in Europe or in Africa, it's really mm. important, and that's when I learned that with a family business, not only you have to run the business or achieve your goals, but you really have to consider it as a family Yes and I would say that because of my values, that was already hidden in my heart, in my core, and it was leading my choices, and it became more apparent the more I lived through the company evolution. So I would say probably enjoy this family opportunity, like having a second family, a Mm. family for which you work and it becomes your family. Enjoy. Learn as in the dynamic that you have with the family. Sometimes you're told things that you don't understand and they become more, Acceptable, they become lessons in the future and vice versa. So, this communication that is business, but is also family. I would say, really think about the values, which Mm. in the previous life, in the corporate world, for me were just posters. And I could see that there was a disconnect between what those posters said and what the management and the leadership were doing. Whereas in a family business, that's really true. Mm-hmm. And normally there are no posters because there's no need for that, because mm-hmm. the message about the values is quite clear. So I would say enjoy it, make the mistakes, and try really to leave this experience as the beauty, not just of a job, but mm-hmm. being part of something that is bigger than you and is bigger than them.
0: Wow. I love that you said your experience in the family business was feeling as being part of the family, because quite often, non-family staff are so critical in the evolution and moving forward of the family business, right? There's a well-known thought leader, Professor Dennis Jaffe, that wrote a book on 100-year family businesses. And he came up with, based on a study where he looked at, I think it was over 50 family businesses across 20 countries. And he speaks about a cross-generative alliance that's critical in building businesses that will endure for more than three generations. And he talks about an alliance between the founding generation, the next generation and non-family staff. So it seems to me like in your place of work, they fostered great alliance between at least non-family staff feeling part of the family. So that really warms my heart. You mentioned so many things. You worked in a business that was led by the in-law. I want to know more about that. How did that dynamic play out? From your observation, were there any conflict with wow, the outlaws? Okay. <laughs> it's very unusual <laughs> to see the in-law being the leader. So I want to just hear more about that story.
1: That opens some drawers of my memory that have been closed for quite a while now. I have to say I haven't read the book, but it's really interesting. And of course, my experience is is one experience, and I've always felt like I had been adopted from day one. And I think all of us, let's say foreign staff, have the same kind of feeling. Maybe Mm -hmm. this is this specific company, my company, or maybe it's something about Japan. And I can talk about this from the point of view of all the foreign staff, because, well, Mm -hmm. we speak the same language. I can understand the subtlety of what we say and what's hidden behind words. With the Japanese staff, it's a bit more complicated because of language and cultural blockage. So it be nice to ask them as well, to all of them, in the different layers of the hierarchy, what they feel. But I would say that looking at how the company behaved during COVID and during the various crises, most of the people really felt. And the behavior that we had towards our staff is really that of a family. So that's Mm. the first, uh, I wanted to make a comment on the book and this feeling of belonging. Now, about the in-laws, it is very true what you're saying, Mm. the dynamic was, I would say, bizarre at times. (laughs) When I joined the company soon after he was made the president, he had already been in the company for 10 years. He had been made the president of one of the three pillars, one of the three that then merged together. And of course, he didn't have any technical experience because he came from an MBA type of education, whereas everybody else in the board and in the leadership were from a technical background. So already this was like a negative point, a negative perception from everybody else in the company. It's a B2B, as much as B2B can be. And mm-hmm. very technical, very product oriented, rather than, I would say, customer oriented, although we we're trying to change that. And then there is this person, the that, that pop scene in, in the company, no technical experience, mm-hmm. Japanese, but born in the US, a son of diplomats. So, with a completely, mm-hmm. with a very Californian style, because saying that he was just the in law, is not enough. The full picture is somebody that is Japanese in terms of facial features, appearance, speaks the language, then has a completely different culture. And this person gets into the company. And I guess, as I said, it's my first family family-owned company. There's always this entitlement Mm. that may resonate with the non-family staff. The fact that you may feel, oh, I've done so much for this company. I've done so much for this family. And Mm then the cousin arrives, and he gets the position that I was meant to get. Well,
0: I thought, thought,
1: yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. in this case, in our case, you have somebody has this kind of entitlement by family, by marriage, and has a completely different culture and no technical background. And therefore, of course, behind closed doors, people were really reluctant to follow his lead. And Mm -hmm. I think that this was also one of the things that made the overall plan collapsing. I learned so much, and so much of the things that we have implemented today stem from his ideas, his vision of modernization, westernization, even making the company less family and more professional, even if he was supposed to be the CEO and he was part of the family. So many of the good ideas are there, but the fact that he didn't build that network within the company of friends, of allies, and that he went in with a, I would say, an attitude, more of a caterpillar than Mm. somebody chiseling his way in. I think that that's what made it collapse. So in a way, everybody was happy also because the pillar that he was leading was the one that was having the best results, Mm. most likely because of the work that has been done before there's always this lag of time and we, we tend to <laughs> we tend to upload the person that is leading now but of course the work has been done before but I would say really behind closed doors people were not seeing in him the leader that they wanted to see and for me that's really what caused the collapse of the plan that we had prepared
0: I wanted to just talk a little bit about you mentioned that there was a merger of three companies. I think a merger of even two companies is difficult enough. But leading the merge of three companies is a mammoth task. Strategically, how did you get to that point as a family business? Um, for those that are thinking of mergers as a potential strategic option for their families. And secondly, how did you personally lead through that process?
1: So. I would say, for me, it was one of the first questions that I asked when I was hired, this tough question that people normally don't ask. Why are we three different companies? Because at the heart of the three companies, there were the same core technologies. And in fact, if you look at the storyline of the organization, it was one, and then it became two, and then it became three, simply to be able to serve competitors, especially in the Japanese market, that they don't want to be served by the same company. But then they got basically lives on their own. They stayed with these core competences, but they developed into three completely different markets. So one is micromotors and automation. One is parts for optical connectivity, MEMS, and I would say injected very precise ceramic. And the third one is very hard material with uh, precision for medtech, biotech, and industrial use. So as a three company, we always had cycles in which one were dominating in terms of revenues and on, let's say, globally in terms of products. And the two were kind of using the time for establishing new technologies or new products that could then come up as a hit either in the Japanese market or globally. But what happened is that the one that became the main pillar in the first decade of 2000, of the year of the millennium, was not doing well. So all of a sudden, this very large cash flow inflow stream was broken. And that was because of the blindness, I would say, of the leadership at that time didn't see coming in terms of competition, in terms of price reduction and so on, modernization of the machines and tools and so on. So in fact, what was for me like a normal question, why are we three companies? At least we mm. should have been two because the connectivity part and our material were very similar. Mm. And then it became necessary because there was one single ownership, but one of the three which employed at the time 1,000 people were really going to go bankrupt. So we wanted to merge, of course, in the medium-long term to make the organization leaner and synergize the different roles and markets, but also to save this third pillar. And I would say that this is where you see the family. Mm. The fact that probably in the previous companies where I'd been, it would have been either left to bankrupt or sold and so on. And because it's a family, when one of your child goes the wrong path, you try to get him or get her back. And maybe the rest of the family helps in these mm. endeavors. I, I love the
0: way so you painted that. I actually yeah. love that analogy. Mm, sorry.
1: Thanks. It came probably from my Christian Catholic journey. There are stories that were, we were told that stems from the Bible, and that's very similar. So in a way, it was necessary, and it was with my former boss. And of course, the support, because at the time we were 3,500 employees and 450 million US dollars. So it was quite, quite huge. And it had been divided for 40 years
2: mm-hmm. with
1: six different manufacturing sites, three different CRM, three different wow. software for everything else, for SAP and so on. And the different structures didn't talk to each other. We used to go, when we could get a product from one of the three companies, we used to go and buy outside. So it was really managed in a way that was not modern. So Mm -hmm. it was necessary. It was the better way ahead. We got support, external support from a large consulting company just to make sure that we could save this large pillar. And of course, at the same time, we could restructure because it was necessary, but in the most human, most family-like way. Mm. And once again, let me make a metaphor. You have three kids and they all have a car. And all of a sudden, the family has some problems because one of the two parents loses her job. Mm. And of course, what you do is you don't sell a kid or maybe you ask one or two of them to sell their cars and you start sharing it. And that's what we did. So basically, we asked some of the people that were very close to retirement to pre-retire. We moved people around. So we managed really to keep the majority of people on board. And also, we started breaking the silos, which Mm. were one of the reasons why we were not efficient and not so competitive as we have been in the past.
0: Wow. So you... As you were speaking, what was ringing in my head was you had an opportunity to learn how to lead in a crisis before we all went through a crisis as a world together. (laughs) And that crisis being COVID-19, which hit our world officially as a pandemic on the 22nd of March, 2020. And based on that, how do you manage self as GP when you're leading through a crisis?
1: That's a beautiful question once again, and I think it comes at the very right moment. Let me say first that thanks to the work and the preparation and the resilience that we built into the years 2017, 2018, Mm -hmm. we reached the time of the crisis, of the COVID crisis, and we were prepared. We had a certain runaway, we built some very Strong foundations, and in fact, thanks to the I would say this pre-work, thanks to the mentality, the mindset that we try to bring into the family, into the company. After the first shock, we really try to see this not as a, as just a drama, but as an opportunity, an opportunity to think outside of the box. We had a production line that was stopped for a few months, making water and an air pump. For the agricultural industry, and we converted it. We converted it for making ventilators. That was one of our partners that does that. And I think it was one of the few times when we really act quickly, seeing something that could have been a problem into an opportunity. So that resilience that we built allowed us to basically not be desperate, which is Mm -hmm. also something that is built in the Japanese culture and to thrive. In fact, our year was quite positive last year during the COVID crisis. This is about the company. Of course, as a person, I've been through a lot of difficult, challenging times, both personally and professionally. And it sounds like, would you read from leadership books? But really, these times are those that really made me into the Mm -hmm. person I am, Mm -hmm. simply somebody that has endured, that has learned, that has punched the wall, cried. Mm. And as always, after a period of acceptance and grief, with this moment of loss, came back Mm. a little bit wiser and stronger. And in this journey, of course, getting into organizations like YPO or the Argonauts has allowed me to discover other things, Other things that at the time, if I had found them, let's say 10, 15 years ago, I would have just rejected them because I was very scientific. I was needing a scientific proof. Mm. And today, a few years ago, I discovered meditation and mindfulness, and this has changed my life. Many other things brought me to the point in which I discovered it, and it was time to accept it. And now it's built into my daily routine and it allows me, first of all, to be more resilient in terms of crises and mm. problems, but also it makes me enjoy really what I'm doing, enjoying this moment with you, which is a privilege for me and makes my life simply better from my point of view. And this mm. way I can perform better.
0: Wow. No, you know, um, so much of what you said really resonates and you said the crisis kind of made you who you are. And I think a lot of the time in our academic lives and our professional lives, or just as human beings, we yearn to know the answer in any given situation. We want to know how to get out of challenging situations. We want to know the 12-step plan to guaranteed success. And unfortunately, there are moments that... No one knows the answer. We're kind of thrown in the deep end and we lean back and draw from the wells of our past crises, how we handled those. And we also lean on our communities, like you were saying. And also, you mentioned mindfulness, which is so key. It's so difficult. I've been trying to practice meditation and I find that my mind is just, I sit still and then I'm thinking of all the 100, Tabs open in my brain, and I'm thinking of everything that needs to go wrong. And for what I've learned is, I'm gradually getting there, <laughs> I'm working progress. What I've learned is, activity isn't the same as progress. Me hypothesizing scenarios does not make it any easier when those scenarios come. Head knowledge and practical application are completely different, and moments of crises give us that opportunities put into practice, all that head knowledge, right? So what you said really, really resonates. I was like, that really describes my life. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. You said something that also resonates with me. Well, many things, but two that really, my mind, I'm a very visual person, highlight immediately, as you said them, And one is about the 12 steps, the three things to do. And of course, you know, I read most of these incredible magazines that we have the luck to read nowadays, like HBR, MIT, Oxford Review, and so on. And these tools are right. They are useful.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What I say now, it's like if our life is trajectory, is, let's say it's a growing trajectory, I would say that these tools are very limited, and they can only fluctuate on point of your growth. A little bit. So if you know that there are these three steps to do in order to make a better business model, it's very useful to know them. But if you are here in your growth, you can only fluctuate with these tools a little bit up and down on mm-hmm. your curve. This very slow curve is not something that you can do, you know, with the 12 steps, the mm-hmm. four ideas, follow this diet and so on. This is really where your values and where the hard work of Putting one brick after one brick every day. This mm. is my point of view, of course, mm-hmm. comes into play, and there's no shortcut. If you shortcut, then as Stephen Covey would say, it's just personality and it's mm-hmm. not character. Or I will just get them the two around. So the one that is just a mm-hmm. fix, and you can do that. It can it may solve you a crisis today, but it's not a recipe for the long journey. And when I discovered that, for me, it was like wow, trajectory. too. I have to. Put a brick after a brick every day if I want to continue in this growth.
0: Wow. I also think that that 12 step plan or what have you, it robs us of our individuality. So, are we all the same, really? Are all our businesses the same? Are we all the same types of leaders? Are we leading the same types of things? And in a way, it robs us of agency and robs us of the opportunities kind of. Discover a little bit, right Yeah, you'll be thrown in the deep end, but you'll figure out how to kick your legs a little bit and come to surface. And essentially, I think what we all want in life is to be our own heroes, and we don't necessarily want to be told what to do. It's nice to have a framework. It is nice. It feels comfortable, it feels more secure. It feels like we're in control. But is that really what we want deep down inside? Does this 12-step plan, like I said, does it address? Our individuality in whatever we're talking about, whether it's as a person or in your family or in your business. So I used to be a fan of a lot of structure, but these days I'm becoming a bit of a rebel. <laughs> <laughs> I, and starting to embrace like uncertainty. Like life is uncertain. Who would have thought January 2020, when we're all celebrating this new decade, who would have thought? that around the corner, 60 days later, the whole world will be ravaged by this pandemic. And even when it happens, we all thought in three months, our lives would be back to, so in spite of being thrown in the deep end. But you know what? It's been a journey nonetheless, and
1: we've learned. Absolutely, absolutely. Once again, what you say, it resonates. And we started from family, and now we are discussing something, I think, that, <laughs> it's, that goes really beyond. And Mm -hmm. it makes me think of this personal approach you read around that with big data, now you can basically put every result of every company into AI, crunch the data, and then find Mm -hmm. out that this is the right way in this kind of situation and in Mm -hmm. this context and so on. And because I'm a very sci-fi geek, it gets me to one of my favorite movies, The Matrix, the number one. And the fact that you know it's a bit like that, you can give companies in the hands of machines in the future, and I think that then we will really go into this kind of matrix scenario. But then there is something that I don't think machines can do, and it's when you put a grain into moving parts, a grain of sand is unpredictability and the beauty of it as well, which is really human. And I think that if you start with a company, within this matrix of AI-led companies, led by somebody that is a visionary and has framework, but also has a bit of creativity and goes outside of the schemes, probably you can break down the matrix and bring Neo to episode number two. Incredible,
0: gosh, I can speak with you for hours. My last question to you, are you excited about the future? (laughs) I
1: am very excited about The future for my company, for myself, and for the world, I would say. For my company, in seven days, we have the handover, the daughter of the owner. So, this is the big project that, together with keeping the company afloat, we brought in. So, again, from the external point of view, why her? Well, her because of her values, because of the vision, and because of the structure that we built around her. So Mm -hmm. we lifted people that are professionals that are not part of the family, to support her in her work. And I think that this is the way that company will work in the future and will thrive again. So that's for the company. For me personally, because, well, I feel privileged. is fantastic to be here with you. YPO is one of the best things that happened to me. And me the Argonauts too. as well, me too. thanks to y, you know, and mm-hmm. the Argonauts, we got together, mm-hmm. uh, Nikkei. And, and all the things that I've done, all the people I've met, the countries I've visited, all these experiences and the failures and the successes, brought me to what I am today, I'm enjoying it, and I'm in flow, and I want to go further. Mm-hmm. And the third is, is about the world. I'm an optimist by nature, as you probably have imagined through our conversation. And We are living a very tough moment, and it's difficult to talk about positivity in this time. But I would say that this crisis will be followed for sure by the ecosystem crisis, which we just put in the back burner because we are focusing on this one. But we remember Greta Thunberg one year ago, and we know this is going to happen. And then there are crises about the US versus China and so on. So we know that's what the future looks like. But then I'm more into what you read about today, which is, if you look at the statistics of the past, this is the best time to be born. This is a time where your life expectancy is is the longest, Mm
0: -hmm. where
1: if you have ideas and courage, you can build something anywhere in the world, maybe even from your room, where your health is supported by the highest technologies, where there is peace. And once again, sorry, I'm speaking from Switzerland, of course, there's a lot of people that are not living peace. And of course, they wouldn't resonate at all with what I'm saying. But by and large, big numbers, let's say, this is the most peaceful time of history. And I think that this crisis, for many people that I know, and I have a lot of people living in Italy where the pandemic started after one, has brought out the best from them. And I think that we should really try all together to serve that way the wave of bringing out the best of the people for the collective goodness. And I think that we can do that. Maybe I'm just too naive, but I want to think that that is possible.
0: I have to agree with you on that. Thank you. So enjoyed your company, virtual company. (laughs)
1: Thank you. I hope we can meet soon.
0: Yes. Awesome. If anyone wants to get hold of you, how about you?
1: I would say that the best social media is probably LinkedIn is the one that i certainly use the most because otherwise yeah the other social media i'm very passive you know mm-hmm. facebook twitter instagram i really made my choice with linkedin and that's where people will find also my website and my blog that at the moment but i'm <laughs> planning to revitalize it awesome
0: thank you so much for we'll sharing the links to your linkedin and your website take care
1: thank you very much
0: When I think of the conversation I had with GP, the word that comes to mind is transformation. Transformation both of himself as a leader and also of the business, a family business, all the transformation that's went through. And transformation can be scary. Well, the prospect of it can be scary or one could reframe it and be quite excited about it. And it's very easy for us to anticipate grand transformation on the macro level. But that doesn't happen without the micro. A company is not able to transform if its leaders have not undergone a self-transformation process. And I'll leave you with this quote by Marianne Williamson. Personal transformation can and does have global effects. As we go, so goes the world, for the world is us. The revolution that will save the world is ultimately a personal one. I find that so inspirational. I hope you do too. Thank you so much for tuning in. Take good care and God bless you.